All right. Open your Bibles to Lamentations 5. Lamentations 5. The title this evening is A Plea for Mercy. A Plea for Mercy. This last chapter, or lament, is a prayer. And the pronouns are plural because Jeremiah prayed for himself as well as those who are suffering that were left in the land and had survived the invasion <clears throat> of Babylon. Jeremiah had asked the Lord to remember what has happened to them. In verse 1, the word remember means to consider, to behold, or to recognize. So they want God to look and to see, you know, what happened to them. You know, not that he doesn't know, but... You know, they're suffering, and they just want God to, to recognize what they're going through. And this means that Jeremiah and the people wanted the Lord to do something for them and to deliver them from their painful and humiliating situation. Jeremiah knew that the Babylonian captivity wouldn't end for 70 years, but he still asked the Lord to be merciful to the poor people who were left behind or left in the land and uh, to, to be with the, the, the exiles in Babylon, those who went into captivity. The lament ends with a prayer of hope that God would restore them to their days of old, the good old days, when they were prosperous and, and you know, the, the envy of the land. Verses 1 through 13 covers the affliction and suffering of the people. So let's begin with lament, uh, Lamentations 5, verses 1 through 3. And it says, remember, O Lord, what has come upon us. Look and behold our reproach. Our inheritance has been turned over to aliens and our houses to foreigners. And we have become orphans and waifs or, child, or, or fatherless children. And our mothers are like widows. So their grieving words start out with just a really sorrowful request to God to look and see the, humilia the humiliation and the suffering that had been brought upon the people. Their inheritance mentioned in verse 2 speaks of the promised land that God gave them. It had been overrun by strangers and foreign troops. There's a kind of indirect request here for God to do something on behalf of his people because God was well known for his concern for widows and orphans. As Exodus 22, 22 says, you shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. The only thing the people had to do is listen to Jeremiah's words back in chapter 7 of Jeremiah, verses 5 through 7, in order to keep them from becoming the kind of people that they had ignored. When things were going well for them, they ignored the aliens, the widows, and the orphans. And now they were, they were the, in the same situation. Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 5 through 7 says this, But I will be merciful only if you stop your evil thoughts and deeds and start treating each other with justice. Only if you stop exploiting foreigners, orphans, and widows. Only if you stop your murdering and only if you stop harming yourselves by worshiping idols. And, only if you start, uh, and, and then I will let you stay in this land that I gave to your ancestors to keep you forever. So those are the conditions for that God to be merciful to them. Look at verses 4 through 5. We pay for the water that we drink, and our wood comes at a price. They pursue at our hills. We labor and have <clears throat> no rest. <clears throat> Life for the conquered people was very tough. 
even the necessities of life, like water and food, they had to pay for. These things used to be, uh, there used to be a lot of it, and it used to be free for the asking. But now, you know, they had to buy it with silver because of Babylonians, uh, Babylon's strict control and exploitation of the land. Verses 6 and 7. We have given our hand to the Egyptians and the Assyrians to be satisfied with bread. Our fathers sinned and are no more, but we bear their iniquities. The people remembered when the time that they became partners with Egypt and Assyria. And they did so so they could survive, to get bread, to get their necessities in the middle of a uh, political and military scheming that was going on all around them. And verse 7 might suggest that their ancestors sinned because they made this partnership with foreign powers, you know, every once in a while, rather than depending upon God all the time. You know, and sometimes when things get so bad, we take it upon ourselves to, you know, to, to meet our own needs and not depend upon God all the time. The present generation here was suffering the consequences of their ancestors' sin. But they're all dead now. The ancestors are all dead now, but they're suffering because of their sin. And it's, they're saying, we're suffering the punishment that they deserved. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, it reads, You must not bow down to them, that is, idols, for, or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. Now, it's really important to know the difference between being punished for your own sin and experiencing the evil consequences of somebody else's sins. Because if you don't understand that, it makes God look like he's unfair in the way he deals with things. And is used and then used as an excuse for not taking responsibility for our sins. In Exodus 18, verse 20, Ezekiel 18, verse 20, it says, The person who sins is the one who will die. The child will not be punished for the parent's sins, and the parent will not be punished for the child's sins. Righteous people will be rewarded for their own righteous behavior, and wicked people will be punished for their own wickedness. Verses 8 through 10. Servants rule over us. There is none to deliver us from their hand. We get our bread at the risk of our lives because of the sword in the wilderness. Our skin is hot as an oven because of the fever of famine. Judah was experiencing the oppressive rule of the Babylonians through their appointed leaders. Some who may have been former slaves of the people of Jerusalem were now their masters, but ruling over them. And if that's the case, they wouldn't have any sympathy for their former masters. No effort was made by their conquerors to help build, or I should say rebuild, the devastated nation or to make the people's hardships any easier. Food was as hard to get then as it was during the siege when they were surrounded by Babylon. Raiding and looting Babylonians, raiding or, or, or the looting Babylonians or Bedouins, they were a constant threat to those who dared to take a chance of leaving the protection of the city in order to harvest their crops. So the famine caused terrible loss of weight, sickness, and ugliness. And it says the effects of dehydration on their skin felt like, like the heat of an oven. 
It was a result of, uh, of their hunger compared to that of the heat of an, of an oven. Verse 11 through 13. They ravished or raped the women in Zion and the maidens in the cities of Judah. Princes were hung up by their hands and elders were not respected. Young men ground at the millstones. Boys staggered under loads of wood. Judah is, was experiencing the typical kind of payback or revenge that was laid on any defeated people in, in these particular times. Their women were raped. Their, their princes or leaders were tortured and executed publicly. And the older people weren't shown any respect by the proud conqueror. Men and boys became slave workers. And they were forced to do what was normally the work of women or slaves. Verses 14 through 18 covers the loss of joy and hope. Now here's why they don't have their, their joy and their hope anymore. Verses 14 through 18. Because the elders have ceased gathering at the gate and the young men, men from their music. The joy of our heart has ceased. Our dance has turned into mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us for we have sinned. Because of this our heart is faint. Because of these things, our lights, uh, our eyes grow dim. Because of Mount Zion, which is desolate, with foxes walking about it. The elders who normally sat in the city gates administering justice no longer had any part of that responsibility. The joy of the people had disappeared, which was obvious by the stopping of music. They weren't you know, enjoying music anymore. They weren't playing music anymore. There was no more dancing among the people. Verse 16, the crown, it says, the crown has fallen from our head. In other words, they said, our honor is brought to dust. Now, this could be referring to the end of the Davidic dynasty when King Zedekiah was captured. But it's probably more likely to be a general, just general word speaking of their former prop, uh, prosperity and the respect they had among the nations, but not anymore. Jackals, it says here foxes, but probably jackals, were now prowling around the city. They were scavenging through the ruins and the trash of what used to be the once prosperous and thriving city and its temple. And the temple used to be the main symbol of God's presence among his people. And the cause of the people's desperate troubles is found in their confession in verse 16. Notice what they say, we have sinned. And you know, when we are humble enough and honest enough to admit, man, I blew it, I've sinned, then you can get on the road to recovery. But pride many times does not allow us to admit, I messed up. And we blame other people or other reasons or circumstances for our misery. Sin is contrary to the law. It's contrary to God's word. It's contrary to the will of God. It's contrary to all the rules and orders of God's appointments. There is not one of his laws that sin has not broken and has tried to cancel out and make ineffective. It's not only the transgression of, but also a contradiction to the will of God. When the Son of God came into the world to tell us his father's will, we know, how, we know what reactions the people had. Jesus was met by and experienced also the contradiction of sinners who would have made men 
you know, uh, believe that neither Jesus nor his doctrine was of God. And we have people trying to do that today. You know, to tell the world that, that Jesus, you know, uh, and his doctrine wasn't of God. Hebrews 11.3 says this, Think of all the hostility he endured, Jesus endured from sinful people, then you won't become weary and give up. Jesus, as you know, and you go through the Gospels, Jesus was accused of so many things, wrongful things. You know, he was accused of being an illegitimate son of Mary. He was accused of casting out demons with the help of Satan. But he made it through all of that. He, he suffered through all those terrible accusations. And, and for us, as believers, we need to have that same patience. We need to have that same endurance because we will also be falsely accused. But you know what? We can't let that cause us to be wearied and faint in our faith. In David's fulfilling of the will of God, he was said to be a man after God's own heart. Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 21 says, And for those who long for idols, God says, I will repay them fully for their sins. Jesus, man, Jesus endured way more than any of the heroes of faith did who are named in Hebrews chapter 11. So that makes Jesus a perfect example for us to follow. Jesus endured the cross. The cross endured shame. The cross endured suffering, humiliation. It, 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 you know, it involved the opposition of sinners. And it even uh, you know, involved the temporary rejection of his father. And on the cross, Jesus suffered for all the sins of every person in all the world. Hebrews 2.9 says, Jesus, by the grace of God, might test, taste death for everyone. Jesus died for every living soul and for every sin in the whole world. And yet Jesus endured. And the word says that he finished the work that the Father gave to him to do. And even though the readers of Hebrews had suffered persecution, they hadn't resisted to bloodshed, Hebrews tells us. None of them was a martyr yet. But in Jesus' battle against sin, he shed his own precious blood. We've been purchased by his precious blood that was sin, sin that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. Now, what was it that empowered our Lord to endure the cross? It was our Lord's faith that enabled him to endure. He kept his eye of faith on the Father. He kept the eye of faith on the joy that was set before him. And always remember that during Jesus' ministry on earth, Jesus never used his divine powers to get himself out of a jam. He never used his divine powers for his own personal needs. Now, Satan tried to get him to do that in the temptation in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4. Satan tempted him to do that, but Jesus refused. From Psalm 16, verses 8 through 10, <clears throat> Jesus knew that he would come out of the tomb alive. Peter referred to this messianic psalm in his sermon at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, verses 24 through 33. And in that psalm, 1611, David speaks about the fullness of joy in the presence of his father. And also from Psalm 110, verse 1 and 4, Jesus knew that he would be exalted to heaven in glory. 
And Peter also quoted this passage in Acts chapter 2, verses 34 through 36. So you see, it was the joy that was set before Christ. That would include Jesus' completing the Father's will, his resurrection, his exaltation, and his joy in presenting believers to the Father in glory, according to Jude 24. Sin, <clears throat> sin is an anti-will to God's will. Sin is against the will of God. Sin opposes preaching. Sin opposes prayer. Sin opposes all the institutions of God. And it's not just out of envy to man that God shouldn't be better for them, but out of hatred to God that he shouldn't be worshipped in the world. Satan hates that we worship God. He wants to be worshipped so bad, and he wanted to be worshipped so bad. That's why God kicked him out of heaven. And to act contrary to the will and word of God is to act contrary to God himself. And that's what we have to remember. It's to God that we do these things. It's the great wickedness to God. So again, sin is the worst of all evils. It's the evil of all evils and truly the only evil. And that is the reason for all the evil that we see in the world. It's sin. The cause is sin. Our sin problem isn't with difficult or unclear commands, but with the plain command of God. The first sin that man disobeyed, it was a simple command. It was a clear command of God. It wasn't a command that was unclear or hard to understand. And so many times people say, well, you know, I don't know what it means. Or, or you know, I don't understand. And, and you know what? It, it, there are some things that are hard to understand. But the things that God wants us to understand and need to understand are very clear. They're very clear. Listen to the, the command, the first command given to man that was disobeyed. Genesis 2, 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, Adam, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely, ate, freely ate, eat. But here's the command. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. Now, do you need a, a, a concordance? Do you need a, a, a commentary? Do you need a, 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 somebody to explain that to you? God said, don't eat of that tree. It can't get any more simple. But we try to excuse our disobedience by intentionally confusing the issue. But the truth is this, most of our sin is disobeying simple and clear commands of God. Don't do this, do this. Don't do that, do this. We have no excuse for our disobedience. Now, another thing, a command, God commands us to do a lot of things. A command implies a choice to obey or disobey. Okay, God says, don't eat of that tree, Adam. He goes, hmm, okay. I either do or I don't. I now choose what I'm going to do. Again, so we have no excuse for disobedience. A command implies a choice to obey or disobey. Now, you can do it or it wouldn't have been commanded of you. Think about it. God is not going to command you to do something you can't do. And if it's difficult, God's going to be there with you. He's going to help you to accomplish it. Lot's wife, for example, she disobeyed a clear and simple command in Genesis 19, 17. God says, do not look behind you. 
God, Lord, I, I didn't understand what you said to me. And a lot of times, that's what we do. We sound ridiculous. Well, Lord, I really didn't. We do know. But we want to do our own will. Don't look behind you. She looked back. And because she disobeyed, she becomes this giant salt lick. A pillar of salt. Her disobedience was inexcusable, which is all disobedience. And think about the results of her sin. She became a pillar of salt. It's of no earthly use. As a pillar of salt, she was no longer of service to her God. She makes, you know, sin makes us useless to God. Sin can remove us from serving God. And many people are like Lot's wife because, because of their sin. It causes them to be useless to man or God. And the dishonor that she became was that pillar of salt. Think of it. That, that pillar of salt stands as a monument to shame and foolishness and disobedience. That, that pillar of salt did not honor Lot's wife in any way. It only shamed her. And think of it right now. That story, the story of that pillar of salt, keeps shaming her even to this very moment tonight. It has shamed her since she became that pillar of salt. And you see, that's what, what, what sin does. That's what disobedience does. It shames the sinner. Honor comes from obedience. Now, a lot of people mock our obedience to the Lord. They mock our obedience to the Bible. You, you believe what the Bible says and you really do what the Bible says? Yeah. But you see, obedience is the way to true honor. We honor God and he honors us. Verses 19 through 22 <clears throat> covers a request for the Lord to restore the joy that they once had. Look at verses 19 through 22 now. You, O Lord, remain forever. Your throne from generation to generation. Why do you forget us forever and forsake us for so long a time? Turn us back to you, O Lord, and we will be stored. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and are very angry with us. So the chapter ends with recognizing God's sovereignty, his permanence, and his stability. He, he's, he's forever God. He never changes. And it's immediately followed by the troubling question there in verse 20, why do you forget us forever? In Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, Jeremiah acknowledged God's righteousness, and then he asked a question about God's justice. And then he asked to be restored to God's favor. Unless, he says, Lord, you're so angry at us that you've totally rejected us. And if he had... If God was so angry that, that he totally rejected the people, that there was no hope for the people. There was no hope for reconciliation. Israel's prophets had warned the people for hundreds of years about God's punishment if they didn't repent. But all of the warnings were ignored. And now Jew, Jerusalem here lays in ruins, lay in ruins. The devastated people and land here is a harsh reminder that we can't break God's moral laws without suffering the painful consequences. Lamentations closes in a similar, similar way that it opened by asking God a serious question. In Lamentations 1.1, the question was asked, how lonely sits the city that was full of people? And here in chapter five, verse, uh, Lamentations 5.20, it says, why do you always forget us, Lord? 
The answer to these questions are found in the problem in, chapter, in Lamentations 2.9. The law is no more. And the consequences are found in chapter in Lamentations 2, 1 through 22, and Lamentations 3, 37 through 39. It's because Judah didn't listen to Jeremiah. They, they didn't listen to God, because Jeremiah was God's mouthpiece. He was God's prophet. So Judah suffered because they refused to return to God. And the response of faith in Jeremiah in chapter 3 of Jeremiah 22 and 24, it's one of deep suffering and pain. It was one of oppression and, and just a, a disorder in society. And for Jeremiah, serious questions came up. But the answer wasn't that it, you know, the, the answer wasn't it wasn't God's fault, but the people's fault. And many times we blame God for our difficulties, the situations that we're in. Hope is always available to us. But only when we realize that our hope rests in knowing who God is. God is love. His compassions are new every day and the revelation of His faithfulness. Lamentation 3, 22 and 23. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. While many people stay in a state of total hopelessness, hey, hope is in acknowledging in that despair, in that hopelessness, that the Lord is my portion or share, says my living being. Therefore, I hope in Him and wait patiently or wait expectantly for Him, Numbers 18, 20. You see, a lot of people stay in a state of hopelessness. Because they don't want to acknowledge the Lord. They will do everything to get out of the circumstances or the situation they're in, but turn their life over to God. When they have hope, but that that hope must be maintained during that time of despair, knowing that the Lord is their portion. He's my hope. So I'm going to wait expectantly or hopefully for Him. We read that the Lord is good to those who wait hopefully and expectantly for Him, to those who seek Him. And it is good that one should hope in and wait patiently or quietly for the salvation, that is the safety and ease of the Lord, in Lamentation 3, 24 through 26. The prayer of anyone suffering in any way should be that prayer of Lamentations 3, verse 21. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Lamentation 521, turn us back to you, O Lord, and we will be restored. Renew our days as of old. Renew them like they used to be when we were prosperous and respected. Again, what was the cause of all the people's trouble, loss, and pain? Was it the, was it the Babylonian army's fault? No. Was it the wrath of God? No. It was the sins of the people. Here we see the blinding effects of sin in verse 17. In verses 5 and 8, we see the binding effects of sin. And in verse 13, we see the grinding effects of sin. The city of the great king was now a home for wild animals, verse 18 tells us. Jackals now just roam the land, scavenging through the ruins. But the book of Lamentations doesn't end with this story 
of just terrible losses, the terrible losses of the people. Lamentations ends with a wonderful confession of faith and a humble confession of sin. Even though the throne of Judah was disgraced and destroyed, it was by faith that Jeremiah and those who were left behind saw the living and unchanging God on his throne in heaven. This gave them courage, verse 19 shows us. Psalm 102, verse 12 says, But you, O Lord, will sit on your throne forever, and your fame will endure to every generation. The people might have felt forsaken and forgotten by God, but they knew God would return to them if, big word for just two letters, they knew God would return to them if they would return to Him. Notice the condition. Joel chapter 2, verse 25, he says, So I will restore to you the years that the, swim, the swarming locust has eaten. God says, I'll return to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. This is a promise to all who return to the Lord with sincere and broken hearts, and that's the key. It's coming, Lord. I messed up. I messed up, and I'm really sorry. And I, I ask for your forgiveness. Charles Spurgeon said this, You can't have back your time, but there is a strange and wonderful way in which God can give back to you the wasted blessings, the unripened fruits of years over which you mourned. It is a pity that they should have been locust eaten by your folly and negligence, but if they have been so, be not hopeless concerning them. And why will God do this for his children who don't deserve it? so that they'll praise his name and that they'll never again be ashamed before the heathen. Joel chapter 2, 27 says, Then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God, and there is no other, and my people shall never be put to shame. Amen. Like never before, our land today, our lands need healing. They're polluted by the shedding of innocent blood. And by, by the exploitation of both resources and people. But we can claim God's promise in 2 Chronicles 7.14 because we are His people. As 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people, notice He's talking to us, He's talking to His people, who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their, their sin and heal their land. Verse 21 here, notice it says, <clears throat> notice it says, turn us back to you and renew our days. Now, this is the last thing that they asked for. Lord, turn us back to you and renew our days. Without God's presence and without his power, their lives could never be renewed. You see, and they didn't want to go back to the old ways that had caused them the trouble that they were in right now. And notice the last verse, 22. It says, unless you have utterly rejected us and are very angry with us. Notice the last verse of the book seems to be very negative. Unless, Lord, you are so angry at us, you've rejected us. So it seems to be a very negative uh, 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 ending after such a sincere prayer for redemption and renewal. Notice in verse 21. When the Jews read Lamentations publicly in the synagogue to remember the fall of Jerusalem, they would repeat 21 
after verse 22 so it wouldn't end in a negative, you know, uh, in a negative way, on a negative vote, a note. But the verse is still there, that is verse 22, to remind us of the high price of sin. God delights in his people. He loves his people. He really wants to bless us. But if we sin, he'll chasten us instead. If we repent and we confess our sins, he'll forgive us. And he'll give us a new beginning. Hebrews 10.31 tells us it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So in closing, there, here are some lessons from the book of Lamentations. Lamentations clearly gives us some important lessons that God's people need to learn and never forget. Number one, privilege brings responsibility and responsibility involves accountability. Second, God is long-suffering, but there comes a time when he must chasten his people. Third, the blessings he gives us are taken for granted and used selfishly. He takes those blessings, I'm sorry, when those blessings that he gives us are taken for granted and used selfishly, he takes those blessings from us. To enjoy the gifts, but ignore the giver is idolatry. The fourth uh, lesson, God is always faithful to the terms of his covenant, either to bless because we have obeyed or to chasten because we've disobeyed. The fifth lesson, when parents sin, the children also suffer. Sixth lesson, when spiritual leaders refuse to hear and obey God's word, they lead their followers into sin and judgment. Seventh lesson, it's possible to declare God's word faithfully and never see the Lord change the hearts of sinners. Jeremiah was faithful for over 40 years, and yet the nation became more and more wicked. Eighth lesson, Jeremiah was a man with a broken heart, a man who suffered a lot, yet he was rewarded by being identified with Jesus. This is amazing. Matthew 6, 13 through 14, it says, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Others say you're Jeremiah, one of the prophets. What an honor to be recognized, to be like Jesus. Now, Jeremiah's ministry, man, it might not have been uh, successful in the eyes of man. Not successful in the way the world measures success. But his character became more and more like Jesus, as Paul said, conformed to the image of his son. Father, thank you so much for this short book, Lord, Five Lamentations, but Lord, filled with so much, so much to fill us with your word, Lord, to remind us of the consequences of sin, to remind us, Lord, that disobedience comes with a price, many times a high price. Father, help us to keep our eyes on you, Lord. Father, to do what you've called us to do, God, and to know that we can do it, Father, because you commanded us so. It's a choice. Father, may we always choose to do right. As the Bible says, choose life. Choose life over death. 
the wages of sin is death. And if you're here tonight and, and you need to make right things with Jesus, then do so. Get back on the right path. Seek forgiveness. Seek renewal. Restoration, if that's your need. Because otherwise, it can be very costly. So, Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your, 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 your blessings. Lord, we thank you for your compassions. The mercies, God, that are new every morning, Lord. And the blessings that you heap upon us daily, Father. You are such a giving God. A loving God. And Father, we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.